Hi and welcome to the Andy Gorman Golf One Putt Podcast and I'm here after a fantastic weekend's worth of golf uh, on TV. Uh, I'd like to say I was playing myself but um, that wasn't the case, uh, not this week. But um, yeah, I'm, look, I'm here. You, you know I've got the wingman in the background but we'll bring him to the forefront. Gareth, hi, how are you? Yeah, good Andy, thank you, really good. So uh, did you enjoy the golf over the weekend? I'm just loving it being up in Scotland, to be honest. I'm, I'm lucky enough. I've got a trip scheduled for, for February. To oh, you yeah. It's one of those where I was just I was salivating at the chance to be there and hitting some of those lovely link shots. Is that a course that you're going to be playing? So it's Just so that those of you that maybe haven't seen, um, Fairmont, St Andrews, uh, hosted the European Tour event this, um, this weekend on the Torrance course, the, designed by Sam yeah. Torrance. Uh, have you got that on your list of courses to play in february we aren't we're doing the the winter package that the Lynx trust does and that involves the new course it's not very mm-hmm. new it's still 18 13 or something like that it's created <laughs> yeah, it's a couple hundred years old yeah um the jubilee and then the old course to finish us off wow wow there's an element of jealousy creeping in here course, i might have to sneak in the snoot case well if, if somebody can't quite make it you know, then um, and find you. You're going to you're going to the east coast of Scotland in February. You might well have a long <laughs> list of people that will drop out rather than come with you. Um, but, uh, it, it, look, it can be cold this time of the year. As we, those of you that may have seen the golf, you know, will have witnessed uh, having been up there many a time for the Dunhill Links. Um, you know, this time of the year. Oh, it can get a bit raw. Um, likewise, it can also be very, very pleasant. And, um, you know, it's one of those places that you, uh, you, you're just never quite sure. Even in July for the Open Championship, we'd pack the thermals. So, um, <laughs> yes, I'm sure you'll have thermals and, you know, everything else woolly. Um, and if you haven't, you're in Scotland. There's plenty of tweed. So, uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, it's a phenomenal um golf played i've got to be honest with you i watched pretty much every shot yesterday um and i did see a fair bit of the golf um over the weekend to be fair um was coaching on saturday so i missed a bit of a bit of saturday but um yeah i was intrigued by the course i thought the course was um you know very pleasant um on the eye you know it's a an elevated links you know sort of so it sits on top of uh, the cliffs as against uh, down at ocean level, totally exposed to everything that you've got uh, that Mother Nature can throw at you from the from the east coast. Um, you know, and obviously the North Sea, like I said, can be a little bit fresh at this time of the year. The wind's coming off there, and then the guys were well and truly wrapped up. Some of the guys we couldn't recognise because we couldn't see them. <laughs> it was uh, very much more than a sign of the times. So they were playing, you know, sort of. Uh, snoods. I mean, I walk around with a snood on most of the time these days. Um, but yeah, it's um, yeah, very, very impressive uh, golf played. And um, yeah, yeah, I, I enjoy it. It's a type of golf that I like to watch. Um, I like to see folk being beaten by the elements. I thought the elements were pretty kind, to be fair. Um, you know, as would be representative in the scores. I mean, God dear mm-hmm. me. You know, Adrian. Otegi, oh my word, what an incredible tournament he's played and, you know, yeah. took it to everybody on day one with a 62, uh, 10 under par, um, 
without any drop shots. I had 10 birdies yesterday when the job had to be done, though. Um, just an incredible, I had one drop shot, but 10 birdies on the last day to win your first stroke play event is just incredible. Um, and you hold a mile of putts as well. I mean, you know, putting them in from all over the place. Um, and I think over 72 holes, I think he only hit one bad putt, which was very unfortunately dropped the shot um, yesterday. But um, he just threw down the gauntlet to Matt Wallace, who just unfortunately, was, I say caught napping isn't necessarily the right term. He just never got into gear. Um, I don't know what your thoughts were, yeah. Gareth. I mean, he... I think the more the gear, I think, he, like you said, it might be a bit of fatigue. If Matt's played a lot of golf over the last three months, mm-hmm. and I, I know he, he led really well rounds one and two, and then it might have just caught up with him a little bit. But again, you can't rule out a Tagi's 63. That's just a ridiculous score. I mean, 60... he was, honestly, I thought yeah. he, I mean, I magnet, he just kept going in the ball there. I mean, 62, 70, 70, 63 is some pretty impressive golf. And, um, yeah. you know, even the middle two rounds, albeit probably a couple over the par of the course. Well, maybe not a couple over, but certainly would have been par of the course. And it, you know, he in some respects went backwards um, but just kept grinding and grinding and grinding and of course he found himself in the last group and again if you can do that and you can get off to a quick start when you are the one behind you know I know what that's like you know I to be perfectly honest with it always preferred to be the one behind um, coming in with you know getting out on the court if you if the group behind oh sorry group in front of the last you know, and being fortunate to be there and, you know, sort of won from that position, you know, to be able to get off to a quick start, you know, post a couple of early birdies, put some pressure on the guys behind who can see what's going on. You know, it does it does help. And if, of course, you happen to be in the last group and do it, you know, even if you are two or three shots behind, you know, and there was two shot turnaround on the first hole, of course, you know, with a, with a you know, 35-foot putt, you know, by uh, Adrian and then, you know, Matt dropping the shot, unfortunately. I mean, done well here to hold a five-footer to make sure it's only one shot as well. Um, yeah. You know, and he putted well, you know. I mean, you know, obviously we all look at that, but, um, you know, we see a lot of putting on TV. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes not. But, you know, from my point of view, as you know, you know, that's where we, you know, where, where the mustard is cut. And, you know, ultimately for me, I thought he was very much a case of the ground out and, you know, definitely on eight where it could have all gone very much pear-shaped. You hold a 20-footer for a bogey um, on the par three where he plugged it in the face. And, you know, I don't think he did a lot wrong. He just got caught by a guy who did an awful lot right. And and I think that's probably mm-hmm. the best way to sum that up. Um, Matt, keep your chin up, mate, because it's, <laughs> you know, it was not that bad a tournament for you when you think that, um, you know, you were beaten by, you know, a very, very low score, um, you know, and 10 birdies, I think, if you'd have certainly said to anybody, it's 10 birdies out there on the last day, um, go and get them, you know, anybody would have taken them, of course, but who, who'd have thought that they would have been there? But um, still, um, we move on to... The United States. Italy. Oh, Italy. 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 That's not what I thought you were going to say about the European Tour. Next week, they're yes, in we Italy. Do, yes. European yeah. Tour. Yeah, and, and I mean, Italy is just a, 
you know, can throw up some incredible winners. You know, oftentimes first time winners pop up at Italy. So, you know, I'm, I'm expecting nothing different, um, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, I just think it's great that we've got some continuity, um, you know, here in Europe. It's been very difficult. And I do have to say, you know, European Tour, Keith Kelly and, and your your team, everybody's doing their, their job uh, exceptionally well. I know, you know, money's been hit. Um, the prize funds are not quite what they were. But ultimately, you know, we are seeing some incredible golf. The guys are getting out and playing and they are, you know, representing Europe extremely well on the course. And of course, the European Tour has been well and truly represented behind the scenes. So uh, definitely, you know, European Tour doing an amazing job. So, yeah, Italy, I'm expecting, a, you know, nothing different to what we'd normally get. I, 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 a first time winner, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, and you're going to ask me to say who, but, you know, I really can't say at this point in time. Um, be interesting to see. I don't know if Aaron uh, Ra is um, playing. Um, you know, at some point in time, you've got to have a week off. Otherwise, I mean, he's, he, you know, another exceptional round of or tournament round, tournaments um, that he's played a second, first, and a third. I know he missed the cut last week. Um, in uh, Dan at Wentworth with a poor second round, but what an incredible rich vein of form he's in, and uh, clearly, you know, doesn't mind a bit of cold either. <laughs> so it's, it's uh, you know, as he said, I think the other day, I think it was the first or second day, he said, Look, you know, I'm just it's really cold, I don't think I've been that cold for a while, but uh, he clearly doesn't mind it, you know, goes out and shoots a mid 60s round, and um. You know, and he's freezing cold. So, you know, maybe you should play in the cold more often. But um, have you got any thoughts for, for Italy before we move on to an exceptional weekend in um, in? I just think it's, uh, for, for me to kind of just comment on what you were saying before around the, the European tour and what they're doing, I love that they're, they're experimenting with maybe different venues and some different kind of um, situations that I know we're in at the moment, but it's great to see some different golf courses, different styles mm. of golf courses on the TV. And I know we're moving to Italy and then I think it's Cyprus. So it's, it's great to see these, these venues and, and the bubble seeming to be working as well on the European tour and the, the PGA tour. I know there's a few cases popped up on the PGA, but European, mm. they seem to have it really, really down to a tee and they're, they're keeping everything nice Yeah, I'll tell you what was really interesting, you know, watching the golf over the weekend and you know, Becky and I sort of stared at each other going like, oh, well, couldn't think of anything worse. But of course, the venues have to be able to host within a bubble. So um, we had Celtic Manor, we had Forest of Arden, we had uh, the Belfry, um, to name a few. And all these venues are, have, have got on-site hotels so that they can manage the bubble extremely well. Um, everybody's locked in on site but listening to Wayne Riley talking about the fact that he was eating another burger and another um, bowl, bowl mm -hmm. of uh, wings I think he was describing um, you, you know that for me would be an incredible challenge as you know you know so I have my dietary requirements but you know I, I just if you're not with your family which of course you're not um Hotel rooms are just not the most endearing places to be. It, you know, I mean, having done my share, um, it's just not, you know, and I'd want to be with my family. So, you know, anybody who's playing, 
you know, the commentators aside, I mean, they're not playing golf and, you know, they've got a job to do and they're doing the job and, you know, they're getting paid for doing it. Um, you can, you could be, before you used to be able to mix, you know, now we know that it's down to tables of one if you're lucky, um, you know, or, you know, it's in your hotel room. And that's extremely difficult. That, you know, now for any golfer who's traveling and he's in that scenario, that's going to be difficult. You know, that is, you know, I mean, I don't know how many of them maybe are sharing with Caddy or, um, I, I, I just don't know. Um, maybe a few are, maybe a few aren't, it, you know, it's just one of those for me that, you know, the, the big deal really is that, um, you know, we're, we're watching some incredible golf whilst folk are sitting in these bubbles and they are just, you know, just incredible, just, just incredible. Um, because like I say, that is tough. It's, it's a really, really tough place to be. So, Andy, when, when you were on tour, what was it like? I know in kind of inverted commas, normal circumstances, you were out there and you were kind of supporting golfers. Was it lonely? Because I know people think it's a glitz and glamour kind of lifestyle, but was it for you or was it hard um, work? It, it's tough. It's tough, to be honest with you. Um, it was the bit of what I was doing that I didn't like. And it's different. The players are in a different platform. You know, let's talk about a different bubble. You know, in effect, we weren't in the bubbles that we are now, but you've got player bubbles, caddy bubbles, and you've got sort of uh, additional folk, um, you know, whether they're sort of, you know, coaches or, um, you know, management, you know, player managers, that type of thing. It, it's, there are lots of little nuclei of, of um, you know, sort of folk, little sort of pockets, little families, you know, that kind of, you know, some players are obviously traveling with families, um, it, you know, and it, it was very different. It depends on where you traveled and it depends on how often you were traveling. So, I mean, you know, when I sort of first got out and I, I was, I did about 15 weeks the first year and, you know, a lot of that time was spent on my own because I didn't know where I was going, what I was doing, you know, trying to find places to put your head down fairly close to the venue and, um, you know, all of those sort of factors, you know, are, are difficult. You know, I didn't have anybody sort of helping me, so I had to find, you know, a venue that was, you know, hopefully within a couple of miles of the golf course. And then you've got to get transportation to and from. And, you know, players have got courtesy cars. And in some venues, you know, some locations, especially Germany, courtesy cars you know, were pretty much, if you've got a badge to, you know, to, to allow you access into clubhouse or wherever, then ultimately, you you know, you could probably get a courtesy car back to where you stayed. Um, in, you know, and so, so those were some of the challenges, you know, that you, you learn on the hoof. Now, you know, the guys that are out there, you know, the regular coaches and the like, they'll be part of that courtesy car platform because, you know, of, of their status. And, um, you know, so, so there will be, you know, sort of different pecking order, really, different ranks, you know, of folk, um, you know, that are out there. And again, you know, unless you happen to stumble across somebody who's, you know, pitched up in your area or you've got your friends out there that are staying and say, oh, you know, sort of there's room in our hotel or, you know, there's, there's somewhere just down the road and we'll be meeting at such and such a place so you can come and eat with us or we'll, 
pick you up in the morning and you know so then we go from course to um you know to hotel or you know course to restaurant or whatever you know that's kind of what it's like you know i'm fortunate that you know i have got some friends um you know good number of friends that are out there and and you know that would be the typical thing you know and and in the end you know guys were asking me you know where are you staying because you seem to have a place right next to the old course or you know whatever each year because you know you find a place that's convenient you get you book it every year you book it the same week that that you're leaving for the for the tournament the following year and um you know you take every opportunity you can to you know to sort of keep familiar and it is very much a case of finding a familiar place that you know looks after you and you know will serve you breakfast at six o'clock in the morning because you're on the first you know you're on the putting green in my instance you know you know by six thirty seven o'clock at the very latest so you know though that all those things are critical parts of it and ultimately you know you've got um you know you've got to get to a place where you are um you know comfortable in your own mind in what you're doing it's difficult it's difficult and it's the bit i didn't like and and the reason why you know i've not necessarily pushed that you know uh excessively to be now you know traveling around um because like i say it's the bit that i wasn't you know i didn't enjoy you know leave me on the putting green it doesn't matter a putting green a putting studio that's my office for the week i've had some fantastic offices um and i've had some incredible you know outlooks onto golf courses and facilities and you know sort of vistas and i've traveled some to some really nice places but ultimately putting green to putting green and you know putting studios a putting studio and it doesn't really matter where i'm where i'm doing my work but of course sometimes you have to work to where the player's going and you know um you know and be and be there with them because that's your job um and that's you know that's ultimately you know the challenges of of, of touring is it glamorous no of course it's not <laughs> you know um i i love <laughs> i love what i do you know that i i trust my passion for helping people whether they're elite players or recreational golfers um you know come, i hope that comes out but you know um I'd much rather do it from sleeping in my own bed and, you know, traveling to a, um, you know, to my fixed studio location or, you know, working with a player, you know, consistently where I will travel with that player and, you know, be with that player at their venue or wherever it might be, um, you know, so there's some consistency and, you know, that you have got company because, you know, that's one of the hardest, like I say, it's, it's the hardest part of it really. Did you have a favourite tour stop somewhere where you did feel really comfortable and you kind of looked forward St. to going Andrews. every year? Yeah, the Dunhill. And, yeah. and interestingly, I never got never got over to Kings Barnes or or Carnoustie because it was, you know, you you're in St Andrews and it's where the tour trucks are based as well. So for for us, if we were requiring players to be, you know, to have uh, equipment built rebuilt adjusted whatever it might be you know then everything was done there i know a few of the guys got out to other venues but typically you're going to be based at the old course uh, and why not um and you know and typically we'll be waiting for the uh winner takes all in the pot uh round of golf on the himalayas um <laughs> amongst the guys uh from the tour trucks 
and it, it, yeah so so that for me i enjoyed love going down to wentworth um when it was in may because the weather was you know invariably it was good i mean we had very few times down there where the weather was poor you might have had a morning or you know half you know like i say a half day where it was a little bit iffy but um it's normally where you got your tan up for the first time um you know so yeah for me you know wentworth because you know it's an effect the first event of the year um you know on british soil as as it was then obviously it isn't now um hasn't been the last few years and and st andrews because it's the home of golf because it is what it is and you know if the weather would bite you some days you know the wind chill factor could be minus six there are other days where it could be mid-20s um so you never really knew what you got stayed in a fantastic guest house literally just at the end of the golf course um not you know i could have walked to the 11th tee um i was that close to it and um yeah it was it's just it was just nice and yeah and of course you go that often you you know you know st andrews you know where you can go and get a you know a decent bit of food you know and maybe breakfast at the right time if if some you know somebody didn't want to get up ridiculously early because you've got to um so you're already at the golf course before anybody else was out of bed and uh and ultimately you know you, you grab breakfast at the old course um uh, clubhouse you know and and so yeah you, you, that's for me yeah always st andrews there's just something about st andrews and driving up there just never seemed to be a difficult drive <laughs> albeit six and a half hours um mm. you, you know just never seemed to be a difficult drive to be honest it was fab miss it amazing absolutely amazing should we go should we go to another beautiful place or somewhere i've never been no, I've not been. Been, Andy, Vegas yeah um i don't know whether i'm fortunate to have avoided vegas or unfortunate i'll tell you i'll tell you a little story i uh, while I was living in Jamaica, there was a very good friend of mine when um, uh, who used to work. I say very good friend of mine. She was a good friend of mine, but she was good. She was um, she worked for Sandals Resort, who I worked for, and she moved to Kingston to work for Wyndham Resorts. And Wyndham was sponsoring a, a golf tournament that I was invited to go down to and play in uh, at my old course at Caymanus and. Uh, so those of you who don't know, I, I went over with some um, friends of mine who got contract to manage the Caymanus Golf Club and to build a golf centre in the middle of Kingston and uh, then got headhunted to go and work for Sandals Resorts. I spent four and a half years before coming back. Um, and so I'd not seen Audrey for a couple of years and I remember walking in, she's kind of like, oh my God, Andy, the pair of us embraced. She was selling some tickets for a raffle and whilst I'm having a very nice hug um, and catching up, she hands the raffle book over to a friend of mine who walked in with me and he said he would have the ticket. You know what I'm gonna say now, is the dollar ticket was drawn out the hat, mine wasn't. Mm -hmm. And he ended up going all expenses paid to Vegas with a thousand dollars worth of spending money in the casino. Um, now, I'm not saying that I would have bet wow. red or black or anything else um, at that point in time and walked out that basically you walked out with you, you put the money was already in there. So you had a you had the tokens so you couldn't just cash it in and not bet. So ultimately, you had to lay down a bet. Um, 
<laughs> but um, yeah, Siebert did manage to, to win a few bucks as well out of his thousand dollars. So to say <laughs> at the very least, I was gutted for, you know, a, a, well, I think it was about four or five day trip to Vegas, which sounds kind of like, oh, a long way to go. Which Remember, from Jamaica to Vegas is only like from us popping down to Spain, really, or a little bit further than that, maybe popping down to, popping across to Greece, uh, about four or five hour flight, I think it was. Um, yeah, so, so that was my dodging um, Vegas. It's probably just as well that I did, to be fair um so so no i haven't <laughs> been it's it's not i'll be honest it's not a place that's on my bucket list um some phenomenal golf courses out there though and and that 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 that, that i do know that's, that's um, my reason vegas golf. is what vegas is <laughs> and um and the rest <laughs> is on the golf course um yeah you know some phenomenal golf out there and um you <laughs> know as there is anywhere else in the world you know we can't just and say that Vegas has got it all. Uh, it's got a lot, but he hasn't got, uh, you know, he has got some incredible golf out there. And of course, it's, you know, fairly regular tour stops out there as well. And, you know, for all the right reasons, um, what an incredible tournament. Um, because, I mean, crikey, <sighs> putts seem to be going in from all over the place. Um, just amazing really from my point of view you know when you look at the, the the information strokes gained you know information that we we've been thrown at i'm just pulling up the stats now um the win by um jason jason's this isn't it jason cockrock you know my yeah he, jason ha he has to be fair he yeah has. he's been um, knocking on the door for a for while me, you know, when you look at the when you look at the stats and just look at the way that he played, you know, he looked like he held a country mile of putts. I mean, it, it is late for us, um, and I I haven't watched a huge amount of it. I've caught some highlights, of course, and you know, watched a little bit of it, but just watching what I saw, I mean, you know, he, a, a million miles of putts. Um, but what's fascinating for me, you know, when you look at the stats, he's led the putting stats in ten point. Uh, two nine um, on the field. I mean, just that's just ridiculous. But nearly three on short game um, gained and three point three six on approach. You know, he's driven it in the fairway. Clearly, you know, he's had a plus on the on the field there. He's thirty second ranked there. He's twelfth on approach and short game, and leads in putting. Enough said. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know what what needs to be elaborated there. And what yeah. I want to say about strokes gained, um, you know, when you when you pull the numbers out of strokes gained and you look at what's going on there, if you putt well, you are going to have a decent tournament. And the pure, simple status of the fact that 40% of the shots take place on the green, if you putt well, you're going to have a decent tournament. And you can't ever get away from that stat. Now, of course, if you've smashed five balls out of bounds, and you've putted well in the first two days, the chances are you've missed the cut. <laughs> so, you know, there's an element of if you are missing fairways and knocking the ball out of bounds and losing your golf ball or whatever, which, you know, of course has happened more this year than not um, than, than any other year because we don't have crowds looking for balls or treading down the rough or whatever. Um, you, you know, those statistics, that, those statistics are maybe a little bit false this year, but... Crucially, when we are looking at, you know, improving our skills, 
you know, yes, we can look for 15 yards as we talked about last week. You know, you can, you know, increase your club head speed a little bit, find a golf ball that suits your club head speed, you know, and your playing characteristics. And, you know, it's crucially, you know, yes, you can improve um, your driving as long as you can hit it in the fairway. He says, and then of course, then everybody shouts, well, What about Bryson DeChambeau who's knocking it in the rough and, you know, sort of flashing it and gouging it? And, you know, that's mm-hmm. all well and good. Um, but the fastest way to defend the golf course will be to grow the grass going forward. I think, you know, I, I think there'll be an element of, you know, let's, gra- let's gradient the rough. And, you know, I might be going off on a tangent here. How do we defend our golf courses? Gradient the rough. So if you're just slightly offline, it's just slightly offline. It's okay. But if you're a long way offline, it's up to your knees. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that that will defend a golf course. Um, I'd love to see the Open Championship with 380-yard yeah. drives. Oh, funny. We have done. Um, I remember Greg Norman driving in the bunker in 1987, was it? Uh, or 89? Um, you know, a long time ago, but he drove into a bunker that was 380 yards off the tee, you know, because that's what happens on Lynx fairways when they firm up and the ball's bouncing on the downwind. Um, and that was with an old block of wood, if I remember. Um, so there's, there, there are ways that, mm-hmm. you, you know, you could potentially defend a golf course. and But, but the ultimate defence is the four and a quarter inch hole. And if you put well, you can't, the golf course can't defend itself. So, you know, and, no, and nobody else can either. If you start the ball on the right line at the right speed and the ball goes in, you know, then if the, there's no defense from anybody else. You are attacking with that flat stick. And um, I mean, interestingly as well, he put a relatively new flat stick in the bag as well. So I didn't know if you really were aware of that, but he recently made the change to a better Nardi Butter. I think he's going to stay in the bag for a little while. But, um, we don't have mm-hmm. any specifications on it, apart from the fact that it's a better yeah. body. Um, I think it's a 38 um, model, which uh, is a bit of a mallet um, style. Got a lovely groove face, milled face technology. Um, and, it, and it obviously helps him to get the confidence he's got to have gained on the putting. I think he'll, uh, he'll, he'll have it in the bag this week for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they'd do that though, Andy. It's frustrating when they've kind of put these what's in the bags out and there's no almost specs on the golf clubs. It's just the the make, the manufacturer, and, and that's it because it could really start to yeah, delve deep into the processes know, as we've done in the past there. In defence of everybody who's done it the last couple of weeks, we've not had the data because the guys who've won have been relatively new to the, um, to the mix. Um, and there's so much data that's actually mm. pulled in. Um, the, the highlight data of, you know, is Tiger using a putter that's a little bit longer? Yeah, you know, that's fine. But they're, they're highlight data. So, you know, it, it's potential that, oh, there's a little scoop on here, but we know everything else stays pretty much the same. Um, and, you know, Jason's bag will be scrutinized going forward, I'm sure, because, you know, he's now in the winner's circle, you know, as is, you know, the other guys, you know, and the people out there, you know, measuring you know the length of putter um now i'm pretty sure they're not they could be but i've seen i've seen it done on a european tour and we used to have the um the guys come through and have a look in the bags and you know that you know getting a head cover off off a club 
um, you know, it'd be one thing, but to take the club out of the bag and put a measuring stick against it would be <laughs> would be another. Um, you know, but there are other players out there that will, will quite happily offer the spec or, you know, the, the tour trucks will do the same. So, but yeah, I think the players' equipment should be, you know, on on tap available for us to know what they are. Oh, well, why not? You know, it's they're in the public eye. Um, you know, we're not asking them necessarily for their inside leg measurements, but I mean, as far as the clubs are concerned, of course, that's what we're wanting. You know, what is it that they're using? Why do they use clubs that have got, you know, a flatter lie with a wedge and, you know, a, a, a little bit longer or shorter in, you know, some clubs or, or whatever it might be? Because then it adds a little bit of juice to the to the gossip, you know, that we, we talk about on a Monday. Yeah. And education as well, because, again, a lot of recreational mm. golfers who are out there, they might, as we're trying to do on the podcast, it's a bit of education as well and insight into the best players in the world and, and what and how much they kind of take care of their golf bags. And as you said, it is every nth degree is measured yeah, and calibrated you know, I mean, to make sure they are know, performing to their you know, best. I use a 35 and 3.8 inch putter, um, you know, and that's, that's what I use. That's, for me what works at the very very best there's a lot of reasons why 35 and three eighths why not 35 and a quarter it's too short 35 and a half it's too long oh, you know it's really picky there's an eighth of an inch difference in there and the reason for that eighth of an inch is purely and simply because it affects balance it affects the length it affects the position of the grip in my hand it, you know ultimately it's i've been able to dial that in it didn't take me 20 years to do it but it took me a good number you know and i've got no and you know, it's been like it for a while now so certainly the last three seasons so you know and i've got all of my putters that once i dialed in got adjusted even if it meant adjusting a club by an eighth of an inch longer you know because i was at 35 and a quarter and you know so i've got them all now at 35 and three eighths so it, it makes a difference you know, for me, and then ultimately you're looking at the the balance. You're trying to then optimize the balance as much as possible. And you don't, you know, I've got different grips on my putters, you know, because I like to have a different feel of some, you know, description. I've got different shafts in the putters now as I'm testing different shafts out. Um, but but crucially, it's a, you know, it comes down to the length and the lie. Those two factors have been, you know sort of set in stone now for the last three length lie and loft have been set in stone now for the last three seasons and um you know no sort of coincidence that the stats are very similar for the last three seasons as well still still holding putts inside six feet for fun with yeah exactly that is there any kind of especially ourselves in in europe and um places where it's going to winter months now is there any changes that you'd make to your, your wedge and your put setup um, in your bag to, to kind of optimise really the winter question. conditions? Yeah, we talked about this with golf balls last bit. week, didn't we? And it was a case of um, ultimately no. Um, mm. But that doesn't mean that you wouldn't look at some of the wedges. And part of the reason why for me, because you've asked the question specifically to me and I've answered specifically no, is because, look, that doesn't mean things won't change because when we experimented with the golf ball, the last person who expected to change a golf ball anytime soon was me. 
Um, and of course that's happened. So, um, you, you know, when you're, when you're looking at your clubs, ultimately, you know, am I going to play a lot of golf during the winter? No, but maybe. And, you know, if we have a very mild winter and it's not overly cold or frosty, um, but not overly wet as well, then I may well do. But that means I start to look at the wedges a little bit more in, in detail and say, right, you know, what is it about my wedges now? As you well know, and, you know, our audience are holding baity breath, you know, for an announcement on some particular clubs, maybe, um, you know, there will be some experimentation going on during the winter months. And if when you try, especially wedges, um, you know, you try wedges, um, then, the, then the soul of the club is going to be put under major scrutiny when it's a little soft and, you know, and squidgy or a little bit hard and bouncy if it gets um, a bit frosty. The, the soul of the club gets a bit more um, sort of testing, it's probably the best term for it. Um, and that for me, you know, is, is a major part of, of why, where we're at and what we're doing, you know. What what is the optimum sole on a golf club? So for me, it's very much a you know I use currently Ping Glide two point zero. Um, I did have some three point zeros, but they didn't the the bounce on the club didn't work for me. Um, you know the the two point zeros we've talked about for hours. You know it's just for me the the optimized wedge you know to date and. You know, if any manufacturers out there want to sort of try and convince me otherwise, then I'm all ears and all eyes and all hands, you know, sort of happy to receive test and, and you know, feedback, um, you know, because I don't get to see as much equipment these days, uh, you know, without the travels. So, you know, if do Vokey make good wedges? Of course they do. You know, do Bettinardi make good wedges? Yes, they do. I've seen them and, you know, tried them. Um, you know, Cleveland, Callaway, everybody's making good wedges, um, you know, but are they making the club to do what we need it to do, which is to be playable and forgiving at the same time? That's the first thing. Um, and that's not just the way the ball comes off the club face, but how the sole of the club, the bounce, etc., interacts with the ground. So, you know, if you're playing on very squidgy wet courses and you've got a very tight leading edge, you know, sort of four degree bounce, 60 degree club in your bag, you're going to end up with a lot of mud on your face um, and a lot of fat mm -hmm. shots and, you know, sort of chunked balls. And it may not be down to your technique. It may just be down to the fact that your golf club and you don't want to pop the ball up in the air. You don't need to. You know, so but the golf club's just not suitable for you in the wet conditions. So when it comes down to it, you know, no, the answer for me, but yes, probably the answer should be. I look so many times, Gareth. You know, guys, girls come along and have golf lessons. You know, they're struggling with the short game. Nobody comes, you know, just for me to analyse what they do to create a blueprint. Unfortunately, but you know, to try and fix a problem, and you know, the wedges are just just not fit for purpose you know not enough bounce one of the things i you know i, I do do so a bit of anal time for me is you know sort of looking at specifications of manufacturers wedges and i see countless 58 and 60 degree clubs with eight degrees of bounce on them 
Uh, you know, so so I get a sixty degree club mm. and I de loft it. It's got eight degrees of bounce on it. You know, if it's got a strong leading edge or slightly further forward leading edge, and just by bending it a little bit, it fits the eye perfect and gets it down to around fifty eight and a half, which generally is a good number for me. <clears throat> um, you know, I start playing these shots and think, right, okay, that's great, but there's no bounce on the club now, so I've just reduced it by a degree and a half. Um, you know, it's down to five and a half degrees of bounce. So I get in my first bunker, open the face up. There's nothing to get to blast the sand out. Or I'm having to play everything with a very open face around the greens without the club digging in. So then we go to a, a maybe a 56 and we want to add it. So 56 has 14 degrees of bounce. We add a little bit of loft, two, two, two and a half to get it up to 58 degrees. It's now got 16 and a half degrees of bounce. It's not fit for purpose either because the bounce is now going to blade across the green the other half of the golf ball that I've you know just sliced um in half so you know I do struggle with some of the manufacturers limited bounce options um especially when it comes to the 58 and 60 um not having enough bounce you, you know I was looking at one of the manufacturers and I won't name them you know about a nine and a six option available yeah in 58 I mean it's no no 12. What about the sand shot? So we've got to use a 54 degree club to get out of the sand, you know, which then has 10 degrees and we're going to open it up. So now, you know, again, becomes much, I've used a 54 if I want to play a, a 40 yard bunker shot from front of the green to the back of the green, I'm not going to use a 54 to play a shot five yards out of the bunker. So, you know, it's that that for me that's a challenge for for the manufacturers is to you know optimize the bounces on these clubs so that we've got more bounce in that higher end but also you know have a lesser bounce option available if by all means you know somebody like phil mickerson wants one you know so um but when it comes to putters you know i see no reason if the putter's got sufficient weight and sufficient loft that you know we you know even if the greens slow down a little bit then you know we we can still have a slightly longer swing and hit the golf ball the distance we need to hit it. I like that because for me the wedges when I see them players bags I think they brought them more on the either make of the, the kind of manufacturer or the, the kind of the green number rather than the actual bounce. And when I ask people what mm. the kind of bounce they've got on there, I think it's a real misunderstood area from a, from a recreational golfer's perspective. So I think manufacturers, please out there, do some more education on, yeah, on bounce. Yeah, you see, we don't and need Andy a lot says, of options. Add some more options in, in there the for players. 54, you know, uh, category. Because they're, they're clubs that were, are reasonably standard. Um I mean, you know, if you look at Vokey's offering, they've got there's no excuses. And you look at Mizuno's offering, you know, again, no excuses. You, there is a, a wedge for you. There's an optimised bounce for you. Um, and, you know, providing you like the profile of the club, you know, then that's, you know, bang on. Um, you, you know, but the, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, some of the other manufacturers who are, you know, maybe just dipping their toe in the water, um, you know, they make putters, so called, well, you know, let's make some wedges, you know, just don't have that versatility in their, you know, in their bag. You know, you know I had a guy come in uh, two, two or three months ago, 
He's just gone from the top of the bag right the way down to the bottom of the bag, except for his putters from 13 clubs with a particular brand. I'm not going to say who it is. Um, and, you know, I've said to him, right, okay, what's your handicap? He said, I'm a mid-teen handicap. I'm looking to get to single figures. Okay. And he said, I'm loving these clubs. Great. Okay. I've just ordered the wedges and I've just looked at him and gone like, oh, okay. Uh, which wedges are you looking at? And he's told me and I've gone, ah, because I know the clubs, I know the manufacturer. And, uh, you know, I said to him, have they got enough bounce on them? And he's looked at me and he's gone, what do you mean? And I said, well, have they got enough bounce on that? They're giving you options on the bounce. And he's gone like, no. I said, right, okay, well, you need to go back and check. So he makes a phone call from the studio and he said, what's the bounce option? Said, oh, there's enough bounce on the clubs was the answer. And it was like, right, okay. What lofts have you got? Well, there's only 52, 56, and 60 available. And what's the loft on the pitching wedge? 44. So he's got an eight degree difference between this. This is the first issue. There's got an eight degree difference between his pitching wedge and his, um, and his 58. No, sorry, he's 52. And his 52 has only got six degrees of bounce on it. So if he strengthens it, to to a, a loft that's maybe in keeping with the distance um and even if you had two 52s you know they made one you know with a and they just stamped another number on it you know saying you know pitching wedge two or whatever you know whatever it might be so they'd know the difference um it would have no bounce on it it'd make the club unplayable and of course it would change the offset on the club as well and all those things that that go with it but so there was no option for a pitching wedge uh, or gap wedge in, a, in effect because the 52 is supposed to be the gap wedge. There's a 52, a 56 and a 60. The 60 had four degrees of bounce. The 52 had six and the 56 had 10, which might sound all right, you know, but, but you know, if you want to de-loft the four degree bounce 60 down to 58, if you needed a 58 loft, so there wasn't a 58 loft available or you wanted a 54, you were then going to be, you know, what are we doing? How are we adjusting this club? What are we doing to make it, make it work? The best adjustment would be to, you know, probably make the 52 into a 54 and then you increase the bounce by a couple of degrees, making it kind of normal. But Lo and behold, he ended up with the clubs and he called me the other day. He said, can you do me a wedge fitting? Because these clubs are useless. <laughs> you know, and you know, and he said, you don't mm -hmm. have to say you told me so because you did. Um, and the manufacturers have kind of washed their hands of him because he's just uh, said these clubs are not fit for purpose. You know, now there's a 13, 14 handicapped golfer telling a manufacturer that the wedges, the only option on these wedges that he can get his hands on are not fit for purpose. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So, are you a big advocate of that, Andy? Where I could a wedge company like this? What are your thoughts? I'll rephrase the question. What are your thoughts on a company who do everything from top of the bag to the bottom of the bag? And do you think it's oh, better question. for companies um, to kind of specialize in one thing? I'm not going to take a political view on it. <laughs> Let's sit on. Um, so, yeah, we're going straight for the jugular. Um, I'll take an Andy Gorman view. Uh, yeah, right. Okay. So, for me, um, somebody who does things in a specialist way, 
Um, so that's just, you know, we'll know that I'm, you know, in favour of the Seymour putter. Seymour made some clubs a few years ago you may not be aware of. Um, and, you know, ultimately they looked very similar to a certain combo set of clubs from a manufacturer that were around at the turn of the century uh, and sort of folded everything up um, at the, you know, sort of around about four years ago. Um, if they were good enough for Tiger. You know, I think you kind of get the gist, but they and they had the Seymour, you know, the Seymour stamp in the back. Um, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not what Seymour is about. That's not what Seymour do. You know, Seymour's putter company, and they, they, I wouldn't say they saw the error of their ways, but you know, they they realised that actually, you know what, this isn't the right thing for us to do. And you know, there's a few sets of clubs around, and they're not legal, you know, because the groups they were pre 2012 um groove so unfortunately you can't sort of heritage them and, and, and get them back out and play with them um you know certainly not a competition but so they realized you know like i say not necessarily an error of the ways but what they're good at um cleveland you know wedge manufacturers of course they've been in the golf club business as well but you know have let Srixon sort of deal with the golf club side of things and then Cleveland have been recognised as the wedge side of things. Um, you know, so they, they've recognised that, you know, actually it's a good way to go. And I'd say the leaders in that, you know, bringing up the rear then, but actually the leaders in the specialising the design characteristics would be the Kushnet with Foki and Scotty. You know, now I'm not a huge fan of the Scotty product yeah. line um, partly because I think it could be done better and you know in terms of fittings etc it's not a bad product by any means but I think if they offered more versatility and fitting they would be you know a brand leader um, they'd be considered a brand leader just because of the cult following but they would really step up and out of the uh, you know out into another level if they were to do it um, you know, do the fitting side of things. Um, but of course, Bob Vokey recognized as one of the leading wedge designers, um, you know, out there has done a f- phenomenal job making wedges for players predominantly, because if we look at the Vokey line, there's nothing there for the recreational golfer. So if you want a, a quality product, um, then, you know, you're not going to need to go any further than a cushion it for that quality product but if you're not an elite player then folky wedges aren't going to be for you you know now you know so if i don't want folk to think or you know screaming at it i can't you know you, you're telling me because i'm playing off 20 handicap i can't play with a folky wedge i'm not saying that at all but you've got to be absolutely impeccably good to get the best out of them because if you miss the sweet spot by half an inch, half an inch, guys, not a big, a big number. If you miss the sweet spot by half an inch, you are going to be missing the golf, the green, right, for start. It'll come up short if you play into a pin location. You will lose your smash factor by up to 20%. Now, that's, a, you know, that's one-fifth of the energy going into the golf ball. And if one-fifth calculates out to 120-yard shot, potentially losing one fifth of its distance you come up 20 yards short now it doesn't quite work out like that but let's just say that it did 
if you're playing to a front pin location, now you've got a short-sided pin shot or a pitch shot to a very tight pin, you know, at the front of the green, invariably we know there's bunkers there. It could be short plugged in a bunker. It could be short, we've got to go over the bunker now, you know, because you've mishit the shot by half an inch, which is not a big number. It's not a lot of an error, you know. Now, you'd be better off with a cavity back sand iron or wedge or whatever it might be, um, you know, to give you a bit more forgiveness. So you may only lose about seven or eight percent of your smash factor if that was the case. And that means the ball gets to land on the back of the bunker and trickle down towards the hole, even though you've mishit it by the same half an inch margin. So, yeah, you know, if a cushion do it well, they do it well, but they're aiming at the elite player market. Um, if Strix and Cleveland do it well, they've got some options on wedges. Unfortunately, I wouldn't necessarily say they play as well, you know, because the, the soul uh, of the club doesn't play quite as well as the, um, the player clubs do, but they're a bit more forgiving. And in fact, only a few years ago, I was using some of their RTX uh, wedges and had in the longer clubs, so the you know the forty six and the fifty, mm-hmm. um, I had them in the uh, cavity back, um, just purely and simply because I felt that you know they they looked good, they played good, and you know they gave me that little bit of forgiveness. Um, did I need them? No, you know. But I thought you know if if a player was to look into my bag and go you know. 20 handicap golfer looked into my bag and saw that I had some cavity back wedges in there, then that might just encourage them a little bit to just think that maybe the bladed Vokey, you know, Cleveland, we hadn't got pin glides at the time, but you know, though that kind of wedge wasn't necessarily the way to go. And as you know, I use 2.0 glides and, you know, they have a small element of cavity about them as well because their bladed club is called the glide forged wedge and and that's what that does is it offers player performance if you can find the sweet spot so again do, people don't think of that i imagine in in a way you don't think a sweet spot that i'd automatically think sweet spot and go driver or even irons to some extent so that's amazing because that for people hopefully out oh, there listening yeah, to I mean, us, if, if you're not looking, now be considering if, that, if, if you've got a cavity back set of golf clubs and then think you can get away with bladed wedges, then think long and hard about your ability to find the sweet spot on on your wedge. And you know, you've got to put a lot of practice in to find the sweet spot on a wedge when you're swinging the club at 85 mile an hour, because that's a you know that that's a performance player's wedge swing speed. You know, so. When we're looking at, you know, sort of 85 mile an hour delivery in the club, can you find the sweet spot every single time? Can Andy Gorman find the wedge spot? Spoiler alert. No, guys, can't. Partly because I don't practice every single day for two hours a day, in case you (laughs) thought maybe I do. Um, You know, the tour players, they're doing that. You get into a slightly iffy lie. Now, this is where the key, if I'm practicing off a mat, there's every chance that we saw this in our testings last week. The error on the strikes were not significant, but actually, what really surprised me was that you know one of the ball sets of numbers. Those of you, if you haven't sort of watched it from last week, um, you know when we did that, 
my wedge side spin on one of my uh, wedges was not good at all because I'd made some errors on there. And, you know, we didn't hide the numbers. We averaged them all out on what we'd done. So there was no good and bad taken out. And, you know, it's the average of the what's less. It is the average of what was done. I thought Gareth was a little bit cruel, a bit unfair, to be perfectly honest with you. But no, he was adamant that, he, uh, you know, that all the dirt is going to be spilt as well. Sorry, Andy. You know, as all the good information that we've been put out there. And that's fair. Right. So, you know, so it showed that a bad, particularly poor set of wedges with a few, you know, side spin, you know, issues that had occurred on a couple of shots were, were shown. So, you know, you didn't see the golf ball going. You may well have seen the golf ball go further because of it, because we had some right to left, a couple of right to left wedge shots in there, which increased the side spin average uh, out. And it was like, ah. Yeah, that's not really what I wanted to see. I was intrigued that I could see it, but also then, you know, the next set of wedges, I hit them nicely, you know, and it wasn't because the ball was doing anything different or I was doing anything different. It was just the fact that, you know, a couple of closed club faces and the side spin increases significantly. And that's where we're at, where we're at with it. So, but, but when you're hitting shots off the match, there's an element of predictability. There's only so much depth you can make into that match. If you've got the ball sitting up in the rough and you strike it off the top of the club, it's generally a dead area of the club. It feels dead and we don't know what that necessarily feels, you know, means. But that dead area of the club ultimately is the reduced, the lost 20% of smash factor. And that's the energy coming out of the club. It's, it's great if you just want to hit a dead-handed shot, you know, around the green. You know, and you want the ball to stop very quickly. It's not so good when you're trying to hit the golf ball into a breeze, you know, or maybe not even into a breeze, but just trying to hit the golf ball a certain carry and you've got to go over water or bunker or whatever because invariably it plummets and plugs or it plummets and sploshes. So, you know, you've, you've got to look at that, you know, and look at a golf club and say, you know what, does this club offer me, if I'm hitting the wedge from here, does this club actually offer me what I need it to do if I was to hit it slightly high on the club, if I was to hit it out the fifth groove instead of the second or third groove, you know, what happens if I hit it out the sixth or seventh groove, you know, up the club? What happens then? Do I get the same amount of energy? Well, the answer is no. You know, what do I lose? Go and, go and tee the ball up and do that. You know, tee the ball up and try and just clip the top of the turf and see what happens to the golf ball. So your, your, my, my tester for you would be, just tee the ball up on the practice ground or on a fairway, tee it up half an inch so that the golf ball now is in line with about the fifth or sixth groove on the club. And just try and clip the top of that tee and the turf with the bottom edge of the club and see what happens to the strike on the golf ball. And you'd be surprised how much that golf ball will lose its energy in flight. And, you know, that's just what happens. And, and, you know, I mean, I'll sometimes do, I'll sometimes tee the ball up a little bit if I want to hit the golf ball with uh, less spin so that it catches the top of the club. So it flattens the flight out a little bit, but ultimately shortens the distance it hits on the shot as well. So if I'm playing a par three and I, I want to hit, say, you know, a 105 yard shot, well, I pick my 54 is going to go 100, my, um, you know, my my uh, 50 is going to go 115 
you know, 113, something in that region, I need to take eight to 10 yards off it, then I'll tee the ball up slightly higher and that will kill, you know, the energy and that golf ball will get closer to the, you know, to the 105 while still making sure everything else is the same. That's just a, just a way that, you know, I've, I've learned to sort of reduce the spin or reduce okay. the energy going into the golf ball. Um, if I could do it all the time, I'd be out on tour, wouldn't I? So, yeah. And, um, but that's, just, you know, so, so there's a lot to be said for looking <laughs> at the wedges and obviously, you know, this is where we're, where we're at with, you know, with this and, um, you know, ultimately, you know, there's, there's so much information, you know, that's just not shared by the manufacturers because they don't want you to know, or maybe, you know, that would be ignorance. Maybe they're just too naive. They don't know. And they're just making really nice looking wedges for tournament players and trying to kid the 20 handicapper that, hey, they'll look good in your bag and you can use them as well. And actually, it's not necessarily the best equipment for you to use. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Something food for, food for thought. So, um, yeah, thanks. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, again, we That's can only really do this. Another great pod today. To listen. So next it. week is the end of round one. And for those of you that don't, don't oh, what, what, what do you mean? Round one, we are coming to an end. We're coming to a close. We're going to be doing something a little bit different in round two because we're actually on our way to a 72-hole tournament. And round one is what you've had. And if you'd like to share with us anything that mm -hmm. you'd like to see in round two, we'll have another series of 18 um, podcasts for round two. And... Of course, we've got a throw in a Masters uh, in there as well. And so, you know, there may well be a little bit of something a little bit more familiar. But, you know, we're going to do things different. And if there's anything that you would like to, to hear, maybe even see um, a little different in our podcast offering in round two, then uh, feel free to ask. And, you know, you can get hold of us on golf at com. You can comment at the... Uh, usual places um, where you'll see the post. Uh, of course, we go out on Anchor and Spotify and all the other channels that we do, um, you know, with Insta and Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and our new partners, uh, Clubface uh, Golf, Clubface hyphen golf. Um, give those a go. Follow us on that channel as well. And, you know, you never know, you might find some other stuff in there that may be of interest to you. Um, like I say, golf at andygorman.com if you've got any questions that you'd like to see or any ideas you'd like to throw into the mix for round two and the series of 18 um, podcasts that we'll do in there we're more than happy to hear from you of course if you enjoy what we do and you like uh, 